You're always smiling. Yeah, it's a Have defense mechanism to avoid uh, dealing with unhealthy emotions. Good. Let's go under the bonnet. Because I <laughs> wanted to ask you, you're always... Uh, what's the fucking word I'm looking for? You're always happy. You're one of these comics that every time I see you out and about, you're just always happy. Have you noticed that about yourself? That you're always... Your presence is always like positive, happy. You're always smiling. You're always upbeat. You're always energetic. And I'm like, surely this cunt self-harms. He has to. There's got to be something bad about you, man. What's under the bonnet? I don't know what to take, where to go from here, Saran. Uh, what is under the bonnet? No, look, I, I think growing up, I had a uh, need to, uh, like, it was an avoidance thing. There was an emotional sort of uh, avoidance thing there, probably, where, like, just always be happy. And, but it wasn't even a conscious thing. It was just kind of what I was anyway. But I just, like, kind of non-confrontational sort of attitude being like smiling all the time. Where did that come from? A non-confrontational attitude. I don't know. To like, have that approach. Honestly, uh, you know, if you like stuff that you remember, but you're like, I don't think that's how I remember it. But in my head, I'm like, maybe it is whatever. So I was, <laughs> this is hilarious. I've actually never mentioned this before ever. It's a strong start. I, so when I was growing up, I was at school and me and a mate, we used to be Smart asses. So I was never a big guy, but I was always a smart ass joker and I would like rough and tumble a little bit, but never Are we much. in primary school now? Or? Primary school, way back to there, right? And then one time, I don't even remember what the event was, but I think it was about year seven. I my, I think I did something mean <laughs> to someone. What did you do? I can't remember. That's the, I actually can't remember, but I just, I remember you, the feeling. You fucking blocked it out mentally. You've deleted your file. Who knows? You don't want to know. Yeah, I don't want to. Hey, fuck it. I don't want to know. I don't want to. I don't want to deal with that shit. That's, <laughs> That's even scarier. <laughs> apparently, apparently, you can go to a hypnotist and they can bring that shit out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can actually go there and like so this girl was telling me she went and like you lying there and then it just slowly gets you into a state and then asks you questions and then you're talking and you don't remember what you're saying but you're talking out memories that you didn't know you had from when you were young. They're like long buried memories. So you're actually still not remembering it. You're just like having it come out of you sort of. So it's like tapping into a part of you that you don't really, you're not actually connected to. When she told me that, I was like, man, I've got to go to a fucking hypnotist. I want to see that shit. Yeah. Uh, so I, because my memory was garbage. So, okay, so <laughs> lots did, of stuff blocked out. So you did something bad in primary school, but you blocked it out. Well, so yeah, I, I, I feel like it's actually not that exciting thing. I feel like it's not that exciting. Whatever it was, it made me feel so bad, like guilty. And I think it might have just been being mean to someone and seeing them feel bad about it. And then me being like, ah, I don't think I want to be mean to people. So you can't, you can't remember. Look, man, I think uh, kids are allowed to be mean because they're kids. And I was a real, yeah, I was a cunt. In, mm. I mean, my report card from grade six was John must not tease other children in the playground. But she didn't appreciate the fact that I was learning my comedic skills. Yeah. Roasting other kids. <laughs> she didn't the... know you were nailing it. Oh, yeah, I was <laughs> crushing I wish I had a stand-up as a teacher. Yeah, they would have loved it. Yeah, really like get... Ben Knight's a teacher. He would have gone, look, he's going hard. He's a bit of a cunt, but look, he's got some funny lines there. Yeah, he's got... <laughs> <laughs> this could go, yeah. He could be either a comedian or a president. <laughs> but kids are brutal, especially at school. Like, uh, do you remember some stuff that you did that was brutal? See, that's the thing. My memory's really bad, like especially from those younger years. And I've got a million theories about why that might be. One of them is that I didn't have a sense of smell, basically, when I was younger. Um, I had a deviated septum. So I was like a literal snot-nosed kid my whole growing up. Um, also, uh, I... That, that would have got you bashed. Nah, because see, again, I I, uh, the, I became... All my friends, which are basically I'm still friends with, I became friends with from like prep. So like I never had any issues there. I was a real smart ass, but I never really got... And I was always friends with people, especially like... I was a scorny kid, yeah. but I was a jokester. So I was always like in that position. So I never really had to deal with 
never never physical threats ever basically and at, like the, the year level i was in was unique even f- that school was still like very tight-knit but my year level was especially like everyone was friends with everyone basically in the, in the year level like there was obviously people nerds and bullying and shit like that but not nowhere near as much as like everyone was still friends at the end of the day there was a lot of connection between everyone so yeah no so i don't know there was a Apparently, my mate told me this. That there was one time in like grade five or something where like we used to really, really bully one kid. This really even scrawnier, geeky dude, like physically, like apparently some beating down and stuff, which I can't remember remember it at all. But like, yeah. So which might be why, because I do remember a distinct decision where I was like, oh, I don't like being mean. I'm mm. gonna stop doing that. But I didn't think I was ever that mean. I was just like a joking guy. But maybe I was a bit more cutting in my remarks than yeah, I was sure. since then. So, but as you said, kids should be allowed to be cunts. So the issue that I've been dealing with since then, which is still going to today, is that I have huge issues with uh, anger um, uh, expression. So like in, 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 any, in, in any situation, I'm really bad at expressing any sort of anger. You can't. Yeah. Like as in, it just feels, you know what, what it is? About I'm right? hypersensitive to other people feeling bad. So I'm always very, very, very aware always of how the other person's feeling and my responsibility for that. Even in road rage? That's the one place where I let free because ah, no one can see me. You're normal. Yeah, but no one can see me there, right? So I just absolutely... If you saw me behind the wheel, you'd be horrified. Oh, like, really? the amount... Like, it's just the explosion is so extreme. So you can express anger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of in a healthy, positive way. Like, as in, to engage with people. And the problem with that is obviously... Uh, well, you the, are Greek, so you're allowed some grace there. You'd think so, but like, the, I think... Us Greeks, we're fucking crazy. Yeah, When exactly. I visited Greek, I'm like, they, they're screaming at each other. My mum's like, that's how we talk. Yeah. No, no, look, and I... I I do all the yelling and stuff, but I think it's different to actual anger. It's almost like fake. It's not real anger sometimes. Like it's more like a, a performative sort of yelling. Like as in, it's just how you talk. Yeah. Like you said, it's actually not angry. It's literally just how you talk. So I've done that a million times. But in terms of actual like fucking anger, I do think there's still, which I've been working on for years to try to get better at because I think there is still a holdup in me where I'm scared of saying the wrong thing. Because you know, you're angry, you say fucked up shit or you might say something that's not correct. Even if you're arguing about something, you get upset, you'll say it, and you're actually not getting your point across well because you're angry. And like yeah. that as well cooks me afterwards whenever I'm like, man, I didn't get my point across because <laughs> I was angry and I said the wrong thing or I said it misled or whatever. So then I was like, that annoys me as well, even though that's just normal and you should be kind of cool with that. So even that kind of plays into the thing, like don't get angry because then you won't be able to explain what's going on as clearly as you could. So Right, so you get angry and you say things you don't want to say. And then later you regret that and you have to backpedal. Like everyone, yeah. Like, like the, everyone, Not any yeah. extreme thing, but yeah, just I think I could be hypersensitive to it sometimes. And also, uh, as a guy, um, if I've been in a situation where like, if you, like you know, you know when girls get, like if you're just around someone and you get angry, not really directed to them at all, but then they feel so uncomfortable that you like, oh, I don't feel nice for making someone feel like that. Even if it's just not directed to them at all, you just, again, it could be road rage or whatever, but you just get angry and then someone else gets scared, especially, and again, from my experience, da da da, caveats, caveats, caveats. But in my experience with your girl, who's like maybe for whatever reason legitimately gets concerned about that stuff. So then you're like, oh, I don't like putting that negative emotion on someone for whatever reason if I don't need to, essentially. Are you always this animated when you talk? Or do you have downtime where you're like on the couch? What are you like on the couch flicking channels? I. Are you calm? Do you have a calmness? You seem very hyper all the time. Yes. Is that a thing that you've carried since childhood? Yes. So that that's... Has it been uh, looked at? Like, because my mum would drag me by the ear or like, have your parent like, shut up! No, because I can, I, 
again, I swing pretty wide, like, as in, not in terms of going quiet, but, like, I try not to intrude a lot as well. Like, I feel bad. Like, a one-on-one thing, I'm actually a lot more animated. But, I mean, if, even if you saw me at comedy rooms, a lot yeah. of the time I'm not... That. You're like this on stage. On stage, I am. But, but you're like, com- on stage, I'm not like this. I'm more like, you know, I turn it up. Whereas yeah, yeah. you've already turned it up. Like, yeah. I oh, know, I'm completely wild. That's why my big problem still to this day is uh, talking too fast on stage. Yes, uh, which, you do talk fast. Way too fast. But that's also because a lot of the time if I'm trying, because I'm at open mics a lot of the time, you're seeing it. So I'm trying stuff out. And whenever I'm trying stuff out, that's when I almost start focusing on that. And then once you've got the stuff down, then I'll slow it down and actually like try to put in, you know, when you know where the jokes are properly, mm. then you can spend your time getting there. But at the start, because you're kind of just splurting. Yeah. You can't, like I, I have a big problem with rolling over punchlines i i roll over my punchlines all the time at the start which is because because and it's a crutch because if i i can get up on stage with a level of energy that people can't help but almost have a good time just watching me be that manic on stage it's just fun to watch because it's like just very animated and all that stuff do you get into a situation where uh i think your presence is perfect for large crowds undisputed right mm. what about um small crowds like say 10 or 15 people can they be taken aback a bit like because i've often when i perform I'm, I'm conscious of if there's a small amount of people in the audience don't go too hard too loud too much because they'll pull back and they'll shut down it's almost like when the lights are on and you make eye contact with them in a small crowd they get uncomfortable and they recoil or they cover their hand their mouth with their hands while they laugh it's stifled and you don't want to see that ever as a comedian because they're inhibited in some way. That's yeah. why I often say darker, darken the room as much as possible so they can be hidden and then you can explode on stage. They don't feel, they think that you can't see them. They're hidden. Yeah. So have you suffered from that where you've come on and gone bang and they've just gone, whoa. Yeah, like as in, uh, I think a good training ground to get over that stuff, especially because when I first started, uh, a good training ground for that is doing solo shows somewhere like Edinburgh or even in comedy festivals where you're not getting numbers ever that are like big. Yeah. So you've got to learn to deal with... And you've done 10. that. You've done Edinburgh. I've done that, yeah, I've done it heaps of times. So. Edinburgh, oh, well done. Yeah, I've done Edinburgh lots. Because when I started, I was like... That's a tour of duty, man. That's tough. Oh, man, it's so... But now like it got to the point where because I've got this other bookish comedy show as well, that I, I started that in Edinburgh as a second show to my solo. And that now does so well that I can actually go to Edinburgh and not lose money, which is wild that's a success don't, don't make money but oh, that's a success for comics yeah it's <laughs> such a success right? breaking so, even is the dream yeah in edinburgh that's ridiculous right <laughs> yeah so uh but because of that like i learned pretty i was forced to learn and it, again this is the funny thing you talk about this stuff and i don't know about you but so much of the stuff my life revolves around trying to remember shit that i've learned already mm. and then forget and then i have to relearn it and i go back like it's like when you come out of lockdown and you're just all over the place and you slowly get the skills back but even with something like that, uh, the one I learned, the big one, big, big ones, because I started uh, before going into comedy, I was doing more acting. So even when I first started comedy, I was doing more, I'd write the bit out in detail, and then I'd get up and I'd just do the monologue, essentially. It would look like a conversation because I'm a natural performer like that, but it was very much not comedy in the sense of what we really is. Which is I can about- understand the way you approached it. Yeah. Coming from acting, it's very logical. Write it out, get up there, perform it. Yeah. You were an actor playing a comedian, whereas now you've transitioned to, I'm sure, more of a comedian who tries things out, ad-libs. Yeah, and to be honest, I've probably gone too far that way. <laughs> like, as in, over the last few years, I've probably gone too far into, like, because there's a laziness to it as well, which I'll admit, which is where you don't have to come up with a full bit. You come up with half ideas, and then you get up on stage, you try it out. 
but it's all about finding that happy medium between those two I've always found especially for me because I do like writing and that's where I come up with my good stuff so yeah. it's better if I sit there and actually flesh it out yeah grind a bit which I uh, because I found I could oh, kind of not do that and kind of still come up with some stuff it, it's less efficient in some ways even though have you cre- it's easier have you ever created funny stuff on stage ad-libbing yeah, 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 you have. Times. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so you experience that joy as well. Yeah, but what I've never done is gotten up with because the ad libbing is always. I can always ad lib like it's funny. It's almost mathematical again. It's like one or two sentences I can ad lib and then it's good. But whenever it goes further than that, I end up losing the crowd because like I don't know my energy. I I start thinking about it too much or something. So it's like mm. it's not as playful. So when it's ad libbing, yeah, you can find tags and stuff like that on stage. Or when an, a moment happens and then you can kind of build and you're like, oh, cool, I can do that in future. And little throwaway lines where you, I don't even know where it comes from. I'm not thinking. When it's as purely unthinking, then it can kind of work. But as soon as it goes any further than that, like, I don't know if you you do this because I don't do this either, is go up with just an idea. Like, just nothing. Like, no, never said it out loud. That's how I work. That's how I like to work. Because I say it, it sounds fresh. And because it sounds fresh, I'm therefore invested. And because the crowd is scaring the shit out of me, uh, that triggers my word economy and my less is more attitude. So I start editing without knowing I'm editing and I tend to maybe four times out of 10 will get a punchline. Six out of 10, it'll be silence and, you know, you create a joke to get out of the fact that no one laughed. Yeah, yeah. that's and always the best. That's the, the, like, can... It's embarrassing, but, you know, we're comics, we do it. You it's know, it's yeah. like you get the energy you yeah. own the smell of the fart and they laugh and you just move on somehow yeah but you can't do it all the time when it starts wearing thin you're dying not in the one set yeah no. not in That's, the one nah. set yeah yeah you can probably do it maybe once or twice um yeah i like to acknowledge a death i think it's important for me i don't pretend it's not a death oh yeah i i, I yeah i put my hand up no, that's that's I I that was actually one of the learning curves as well early on, and this this goes back to that acting monologue sort of business that I was doing, and it all changed one time, and again it was actually in Edinburgh where I would have these shows. It's like 10, 15 people, and I wasn't that good. That was years ago. Some of it's like like it wasn't horrible. Some of it's like there were joke jokes, you know what I mean? But I was still not a comic. I was an actor, and I was like there performing, and I'd have like death for like 10 minutes, just dying. Actually, the worst one I ever had, although in retrospect, funnily enough, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was at the time because I did realize that depending on the room, you can have a pretty quiet audience and then not having a bad time, which is something you don't learn. Like, obviously, it's always you can always get a laugh in any room as well where they can be loud, but there are situations where they're not hating it, but if you're not smashing, they're not going to laugh that much. And Absolutely. It, and it doesn't mean that you're sucking. It just means that you're not doing amazing. But sure. like so I had one of those rooms where it was like that and it was still early on and so I just got like, it was fucking 45 minutes of silence. Like, cause it just in terms of them sitting there just kind of watching whatever. For and 45? Man, it was a whole show. And like, it, my memory again plays fucks with me on this one because like, even you in that show. You blocked that out too. Blocked that out. I'm just, I'm just editing. Why do you think I'm so happy? Because I don't remember shit that was ever bad happened. Yes. <laughs> um, don't remember any of the last five years. Uh, the... No, no, so like, even in that, it's funny because one of my memories of that exact same show was at one point I was doing a bit and I got to the end of a bit and it was like an act out thing, which I used to do a lot. I still do quite a bit. And there was three like old Scotsmen in the front row, all with their arms crossed, just watching me. And one of them literally, I finished the bit and again, it shows you how quiet the room was, but he just sat there, he was watching me and he's like dead serious. He just leans forward and goes, that was very good. 
<laughs> and I was like, fucking hell. So I did. <laughs> yeah. Like one of those ones, right? Then why weren't you laughing? I don't get it. And that's that, and that's what I've realized as well. And it's with the smaller room. If you don't take control of it, they will go quiet. And it doesn't mean that they're having a bad time, especially if it's 10, 15. They what can... was the, what was, sorry to cut you off. What was the balance of your show though? Was it predominantly there to be uh, uh stand up funny or was there a message? Like, well, did it have, was it full of points and good ideas and good thinking? Do you know what I mean? Like there's an idea behind, sometimes it's just a joke and other times it's a joke plus a really good idea. Um, so were they taking stuff away from it? That was, uh, wow, that was a great perspective. Well, yeah, that was actually one of the things which I used to get a lot and it almost to the point where it annoyed me a bit. Um, it shouldn't annoy you. Now you should, uh, you've got the, you've got the chassis in place. Now you've just got to drop in a good engine, like just get the laughs up, um, because that's going to give you longevity. I think, uh, jokes per minute, unless you're a Jimmy Carr is fantastic or, a, you know, a brilliant writer, but. I think having a message in the long run will keep you more entertained and interested in st- on, on stage mm. as a performer. That's true as well, yeah. And I think that's another side of where, like, you go too far the other way when you go in a certain way and you're like... Because, yeah, I, yeah. I don't, the one I always, always get, which um, it sounds like I'm bigging myself up, whatever, but this is what people would say to me. They'd yeah. be like, oh, well, that was really smart. Like, because they'd always leave and they'd be like, that was really smart. And I was like, I don't want to be funny. <laughs> it's like, yeah. they're like, that was really interesting. Like, that was really smart. Like, I'd always be like intellectualizing it. Well, you got which... one, you know, it could have been worse. You don't want to get, that was fucking dumb. <laughs> like, and shit. Yeah. <laughs> but there's everything, isn't there? That was dumb, but funny. Yeah. That and that's was better. smart and funny. Yeah. That was smart or that was just funny. Like, it's weird where you want to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you just want funny and then you'd be like, and that was like, Cause then, you know, you do bits where you're like, that's a fucking good point. I don't think, I, I can't speak for you, obviously, but I think I, you want smart and funny, don't you? Cause I've seen you on stage many times. It's, it's clever stuff. Yeah. And it's funny, but it's, it's more, it's clever. Well, yeah. Like I try to you, be. Yeah. You yeah, try. I try to. <laughs> well, we Sometimes all try. Sometimes one or the other. Yeah. The, honestly, if I was going to be like, what I want would be, uh, yes, the smart, like just clever, like more, more than just nothing. You know what I mean? Like as in for me just to not be boring in terms of what you're doing out there but also with an element of silliness which i always forget and it's it's again it's me knowing what i am i am silly in terms of my persona on stage whilst being clever is me i'm dopey as like as in i'm rolling around that stage i'm all over the place there's an element of playfulness to me which i think i want to make sure i keep which i sometimes don't as well yeah yeah do you think that uh in melbourne or australia we're always going to be behind the eight ball of comedians in London and America, seeing as they're exposed to decent gigs every single night, sometimes decent gigs twice, three times a night. Like in London, you could gig up to six times a night on a Friday in very good crowds. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, is that, yeah. Yeah. Like that's clearly, it's a big flaw of here. Like as in the, but we got a great scene and we got some really internationally respected. So that's what's interesting. We do actually have some, we, it feels like we punch well above our weight considering the like areas that we gig in. Like, as in, yeah, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. We're coming out of a pandemic right now, but there's at its peak, you might get three or four in a night, maybe, but those aren't killer rooms. Like that's you going to a bunch of different rooms where you might have like just other comics there and stuff. We have good comics here Mm. because we have, we live in a city that's full of cunts and the audience are hard. I don't know what's wrong with the audience in Melbourne, but they're very hard to please. Yeah. Whether it's the weather or their life or the fact that they're paying too much for a house, I don't fucking know. But they can be, uh, they can be assholes. They're really tough to impress. To give you an example, the flip side of the coin, Gold Coast. 
anything you said, George, was fucking gold. Like anything. Like my B material. I was throwing in bronze stuff that are from <laughs> years ago that I could never get to work. It was they're just loving it. Yeah. Because they're tourists and they they're, they're soaking it up. It's the same with central London. Touristy. There's a top there's a there's a comedy club called Top Secret Comedy that was only filtering tourists from Covent Garden. And I was just loving everything because I was a tourist. As soon as you go out a bit, North London, where it's Londoners, it's tough. Yeah. I know, because I've got some experience and I know. Yeah, and I think it's like also... Oh, yeah, you've, you've done the circuit in London. <coughs> a little bit. like Because uh, I'd go to Edinburgh, I'd actually go there and... You'd go off. Yeah, yeah. go off and just check it out a bit. But of never course. like in detail. It's fun, isn't it? Yeah. And man, it's like... It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. London is... Very good. I just missed my... You know, I'm a wog. I miss my family too much. I had to come back. Yeah, look, man, a part of me still thinks I should have gone, and I still kind of think that. Well, you um, still can. Yeah, I know. You're, you're still young. I'm too old, man. I'm sober. <laughs> How old are you now? 36? 35. But you, you know, 35. Get it right. Have you got a woman? Well. Okay, yeah. Well, fuck. you're not going nowhere. You're <laughs> fucked. She's already talking to your mum. <laughs> got to get married. Got to get a house. No, no, no. Look, it's a, it's a healthy, you know, relative, supportive Sort of, it's a very early days still. So obviously that's all oh, really? jumping down. Congratulations, yeah, man. Yeah, Enjoy great. the honeymoon phase while it lasts. Because then once it's over, it's fucked. Nah, man. I'm sure it lasts. Shit again. I don't know, man. I think it might last forever. I'm pretty super guy. Every, women are like chewing gum. And men are like chewing gum. <laughs> Relationships in general are like chewing gum. The okay. flavor's great in the beginning. And then you just, you go through the motions. Wow. That's a... How, how long has it been since you were in a relationship, Johnny? Uh, years, and I'm never going back. Never going back. I nah, like, what happened to you in that relationship? Uh, you don't <laughs> want to know. What? Darkness, Have you my blocked friend. some memories out as well, maybe? Mate, I've deleted chunks of files. <laughs> that was the most horrific experience. I, I didn't know demons walk the earth, but uh, yeah, they do. They do. And they're in female form. <laughs> this one was. <laughs> yeah, look, they can, uh, they can break. Was this in, is this in England or here? Uh, here. And England as well. Like, ah. we, we came over. Was she a wog? Uh, I, th I, I kind of. She's, does this count? She's Irish, but st like staunch Irish. Irish blood. You like, can't trust these Irish women. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> whatever you said that I was going to do. They're hot. Yeah. As in, they fly off the handle. Yeah. Irish, they've got a, they're, they're great people. I love the Irish. I do too. Yeah, yeah. And I love the Scottish. They're yeah. fucking great people. They've got the, yeah. The Poms, different. Well, yeah. No, Poms are English, right? Yeah. Um, they're different. The I still, I, well, I've got some mates that <laughs> tune in every now and then. All right. And okay. they're fucking good people. Yeah. Um, even the ones that barry for Millwall who are psychotic, they're still, <laughs> but you know, yeah. It's still fun to be out on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Millwall won or lost. You can, you're, gonna, you're in for a show. Yeah. 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 You still need those knuckle busters. <laughs> Just in case. Yeah. Just spare, yeah. No, but uh, so... In terms of that, though, I don't know. Like, as in, the funny thing is, just before the pandemic hit, back in the heady days of early 2020, because I'd done the cycle of the shows overseas, and I was kind of getting a rhythm with that, especially Edinburgh, because... Were well, you going every year? For, like, four years? In a row. Yeah, yeah, Edinburgh. Man, fucking congrats. That's a great effort, man. Man, it's honestly... Well done. As you might have heard, but I don't know. It's the most fun thing yeah. in the world, and I'm including all industries. I haven't done all industries, but I am telling you, there is nothing more fun for a comedian, and I can't imagine anything like that exists for anyone else no. to that degree as Edinburgh is. And like, I don't. Any, talk, any, it's hell. It's it's hell, but it's a good hell. Any comedians but, that watch this that are young comics, when I say young, not age, as in haven't been doing it for long. See if you can hook up with about four friends 
and book a, an apartment way in advance, like almost a year out, yeah. and go over with four friends, fly together, hang out together, perform together, support each other, and you'll have such and look that's, after each other, and you'll have such a great time. That's what I mean. It's hell if you're on your own. Like I was an idiot the first time; I didn't know anyone, and I didn't do that. So then it was rough. But if you go with like some mates, mm. share the flat. You know, it's not even hell. It's just fun. It is literally just fun. Especially like if you yeah. get if you talk to people who've done it, get some tips on what to do. Um, obviously you won't get a very good room the first year, so you are going to have to eat shit and flyer a lot and all that stuff. But if you make the right connections, you can get hooked up for next time. Or what a lot of them do is they don't do a show, which is again, the much smarter move. You just go there just to gig and you don't worry about your own show. And that way you get to feel lie of land yeah. and you just have fun. Man. And also, I know this sounds gay and yes, I know I'm politically incorrect, but write down. <laughs> it's rare. I've heard someone say that before you, <laughs> before you go. Before you go, write down what you want to achieve from Edinburgh. I think so, because... That is gay. What that does... (laughs) Seriously, what that does is it stops you from smashing piss every fucking night. Because you will fall into that trap in Edinburgh. And if you start smashing piss every night in Edinburgh, you're, you're not learning jack shit from your set and you're not developing as a comic. So... Write down what you want to get out of it because the drugs are cheap. The drugs are everywhere. The drugs are great. And the beer flows. It's never ending. This show's 24 hours. Mm. So write down, I can get smashed once a week. I'll do drugs at the end of the festival. I really just want to hone my craft and get this hour right. I think so. And then go. Because yeah. you're going to get caught in this fucking, what is it? The tornado or something? Whatever. <laughs> yeah, the the Royal Mile. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Look, I think I would say it's very ambitious to... <laughs> If you manage to do that, and I respect the people who do. Well, look, um, yeah. But if you go there with like, especially if you're just gigging, then you probably do have the flexibility to indulge in that. But I would definitely say, like, I got pissed a bit the first few times, but then I've very much now, just doing festivals in general, learned you don't drink as much as you used to. But at the same time, it's really fun, that element. And there is a lot of like networking, like Mm. fun things where you get to meet people you wouldn't have met and stuff like that. Like, I still remember bloody four or five years ago, James A. Castle hanging out with him in one of the nice. thingies there. And I was just cause I was fangirling hard and my roommate who she didn't know who she was. She's like, what? And she just went over and started talking to him. And then I was like, Oh cool. Just hanging out. Was he big then? Uh, yeah. He like, was like big ish. No, nowhere near now, but, mm. um, but like, but that was just one, but there's a million and you get like, you know, there's, there's all the Edinburgh stalwarts, like the accident every year. And you will, if you just sit there and you make friends with people and if you get pissed a bit, because that's all part of it. You end up just making a whole bunch of friends and you get to see a whole bunch of all types of people. So it's it's really fun in mm. that sense. And like, I've, I've made some friends now from that that are like really good mates. And that's actually what I was going to say. Like the, there's, so because of that cycle I was doing, the start of 2020, I was getting two opportunities that I was looking at. I was like, oh fuck, this could be something. Because the bookish comedy show, that's like a, it's like a moneymaker in a sense. Like it's a really good in to places now because I've, I've figured out the marketing for it. I've figured out what it is. It's really fun. And it's a good way to like, as an intro into thing, you're like, oh, I've got this product that exists that is good. Um, I've got this track record. Here's the marketing stuff for it. So you can yeah. like kind of get a decent room off the bat with places you might not have gotten to otherwise, which is really great. Um, and so I was like looking at that and there's one Brighton Fringe, which is earlier in the year. Yeah, I've done that many yeah. times. And I've heard, like, I had a few people be like, man, you should take Bullish Comedy there. It would do really well. Yeah. There's a crowd that would love it. Brighton, Brighton Fringe is, um, you know, um, small time. Yeah. Edinburgh, it's a fantastic way to run in. Yeah. So like, uh, is it here and now? I was like, okay, that's in like May or something. So I was like, well, I could put maybe next year line up and do that and then stick around London and England mm. for two months and really like 
give it a red hot guy, you know, in terms of gigging around everywhere and then going to Edinburgh. And then I had another friend from America who had met on one of these things. And he was like talking about, uh, touring and stuff in the States. And he's like, we hit it off. He's like, man, come down. We can do like, we'll do it. We'll do a little mini tour, like three weeks or whatever, which is apparently the thing that you can just do in America. There's always opportunities where you can do yeah, that stuff. Dead set. Can, can I probe with an agent? An agent hooks you up to those gigs? Because you can't do it alone. Can no, no, you? You can, no, no, I'm not saying I'll do it. I'm saying the American guy, he, cause he's got, he cause can he, plug you yeah, in. And he's been doing it for 20 years as well. Oh, so he knows, fantastic. He knows everyone. So like yeah. he's in, But he was talking about that. So all these little things, which are like, were nothing potentially. They when could he, be nothing, I'll admit. But like... When he means a, a gig, does he mean like a, like a tour across several states or one state or... I didn't actually clarify. Like in, I think a lot of it would be like doing unis. and It would all be like where you're, he's the headliner. And right. he gets at different comedy rooms like every night for like yeah. three weeks. And then you do tour across, I don't know whether across state lines, I'm assuming it would. But uh, yeah, just different cities every night and just doing that. That'd but be like great. Like small scale sort of things. So college, like college gigs. College gigs, yeah. Hey, what uni is this? What the fuck is a uni? <laughs> What's this guy talking about? Could finally prove whether the Australian accent is actually helpful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not that it matters to me anymore. I have got a missus and I don't care about that stuff anymore. It's, it's lame. Girls are lame. <laughs> So that's what I always say. Hmm. Is it uh, is the relationship like good so far, like hot and heavy, like good, good? Or I don't want to go into too much detail. She's she might listen to this. She won't but... listen. Trust me. <laughs> no, it's great. It's uh, just really, really nice. Really, good, really, nice. really early days. So it's like just really fun. Being good. like, oh wow, okay, I feel stuff I didn't know. Uh, it's been a while <laughs> for me. It's been eight years before that. So I was like, it's been a while since. Holy shit! Yeah, eight years. Okay, take it easy. Wow, I've, I've spoken. Where to have you? Since what then. have? What's happened to you? Like, have you? Now, this, surely, many, many, because you're 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 a good-looking guy. So oh, many came to the door, knocked. What did you do? Not interested. No, I think I actually do think genuinely. Uh, especially you, there would have been a reason. Was it on your comedy to focus solely on what you were doing artistically? Well, I wish I could say that it was that kind of single-minded focus, but I would say it's a combination of factors, uh, including I was to pay for going overseas those first few years. I was living at home with my parents yeah which makes things a lot harder immediately in terms of getting someone around doing all that kind of dating stuff right okay so straight away there was this big block in the way of any interaction where like if you're 29 or 30 that's just not what people do but you're, you're, gonna come but around you're to Greek my so it's alright <laughs> and then, like, a, a part of it probably was an internal thing where I'm like I just don't want to embarrass I don't, don't want to do it yeah yeah um, and then on top of that because of the festivals that I would do because I'd also gone to the Australian ones I was trying to do that as much as possible so really I was at in Melbourne like for a sh length of time, probably gone like three or four months at the max thing, like as in, or like something, like that. and always there was one, another one coming up. So there was this. Is the reason why you're single for eight years multifaceted? That's one reason. Another reason was you're picky. Are you picky? <laughs> it feels like you really want me to be picky. <laughs> I, I just reckon you're a picky guy. I smell picky. <laughs> what do you smell picky? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What do you mean picky? I smell picky. I'm not picky. I'm not. I'm uh, desperate, if anything. Just stinking of desperation. Uh, Are you a Casanova? Were you putting chicks away for eight years, just having fun? Because you've got that look. Ca that Come on, look at that face. That's Casanova. No, like, you could pull a lot of chicks. I, I like. If my mother saw a photo of you, she would melt. You are so dead on with your joke about, well, I won't say it here, but that joke is so fucking funny and spot on. Oh, about the moustache thing. Oh, oh my yeah. God. You'd have Greek yayas throwing their undies at you. <laughs> You'd be fucking, you are the poster boy. I saw a photo of my granddad for fuck's sake and I looked at him and go, oh my God, it's George DiMorellis. <laughs> Where the fuck did George get a DeLorean from? Like, George, can I borrow your DeLorean? 
<laughs> sure you can't grandson. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, no, no, it's uh, look, I have a weird thing. Uh, I just think you're driven as well with stand up and I think artistically you were like, I've got to focus on Edinburgh. I've gone four years in a row. Because the only reason I say that is I'm very similar as well. Behind you, there's fucking whiteboards and, you know, I'm very, yeah, yeah. like, you know, I, just, yeah. I, I like my single life as well because I can focus clearly on my work. Well, see, here's the thing, right? And uh, as much as I, again, I would love to claim that, there probably is an element of that. I would like to give myself some credit. But at the same time, the other thing is I'm just very, very good at being single, which is part of what this whole learning curve has been in the last two months uh, with this new girlfriend because... Uh, so I've never called her girlfriend before. That's weird. I'm saying, Miss I. And uh, I better do that before you release this episode. Just so she doesn't hear it here first. Um, she might be, she'll be like, what? Girlfriend? Nah, bro, I'm out of here. <laughs> Just broken so you, so you can do single good. I can do single so good to the point where like, I didn't even understand like the need. So it wasn't like I was out slaying fucking, yeah, so you're let's fiercely, get up and about. You're a fiercely independent guy. Fiercely, fiercely. Like, so in, you, you're like. Anti-social borderline. So you're, 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 yeah, right. So you're like Tom Hanks in Castaway when he fucking nailed the island when he was killing it, like crushing coconuts, oh, catching fish. That's me every when, day. I am, fl- if you, on a day alone, <laughs> I'm flat out all day. There's no time for me to do it. So like you're a gun. That's how it. much shit I've got to do. All of it not helpful, but so, just flat out. So isolation, um, so lockdown doesn't phase you. Not at all. It didn't hit me. Like, especially the, the first lockdown, I, uh, the big one last year. That I spent, there was about a six week period where I was basically on my own the whole time. And there was no, there wasn't a second where I was like, oh. Fascinating. Did not care. At I developed all. anxiety. I didn't know it, but I couldn't, I, I'd fall asleep and wake myself up every 20 minutes. And I Googled and it's like, you just, you, you got anxiety, dude. Just chill. Well, here's the thing, right? Probably there was some of that going on, but again, my brain chopping yeah, out bits. You've like, del- you got the bl- ignorance is bliss. <laughs> yeah, so you've like, got this fucking program where you delete all the harsher shit. Exactly, it's gone every night. I wake up, I'm like, spend the whole night, ah, but I just like, nah, people don't take it. meds for that. Yeah, look, it's a uh, that's just, great. Just smile all the time. Your brain. Can, you have you seriously habits. been able to just block shit out as a child and not and just look, move on I ahead? It's fan- It's a fucking I don't great. Think I'm doing any touch. I don't think the, like, if it is the true, then it's. Probably quite worrying, to be honest, if anything. Uh, don't do it. I'm not like, and deleted. Okay. Where's the neuralizer on myself? Okay. Right. <laughs> Happy childhood. Um, it's that all good. would be fun. The, but the, yeah, no. So I've got very good at Like, just because I think because I like reading, which is the longest and most antisocial activity you can have in terms of just on your own doing that. And then just, I just, you know, I'm always love trying activities things like that so i can be very busy on my own what is it about reading that you like is it the is it uh the meditative state it puts you in or the fact that you just you can learn so much about everything and anything as opposed to a visual stimuli um so i think uh (coughs) again it's my tie into the childhood thing another reason why i don't remember my childhood as much so i was a huge geek growing up like i was a massive massive sci-fi and fantasy nerd when I was younger. Same here. Yeah. And I think one of the things for me was uh, the escapism element. So I'm like really good at ripping escapism to the point where it's like, it's like my one skill is like I could sit and if I like a fantasy book, like I could sit there and read it for like eight hours. Like actually I've done that before. <laughs> no, like as in, and can you read, would you read for eight hours in a stretch? Yeah. Yeah. Like as in, if I get hooked that, into a fantasy wow. book, cause I'm just like, it's not reading. It's not hard. Like the That's reading fantastic. part isn't hard for me. So I just get sucked in and I can just keep going keep keep going you know what i mean um 
the, that hasn't happened as like the last one was actually probably like two years ago and i think it was like my like just just the right amount of hungover to be not wanting to do anything else and just sat there and just read for and yeah. and you're you told me before we recorded you're you're going to undertake a professional writing course yeah is, is that to um uh would you like to write a novel one day because i i consider people who write novels uh heroes because for me stand up i have 30 seconds to get a laugh otherwise i'm incorrect wrong end program start again uh, a novelist they can just keep going and going and going and i'm like aren't you lost how it's amazing yeah look i don't know i'm not sure i kind of just want to develop the muscle in general uh because it's a it's a good skill to have i think to, to be able to write and be able to express yourself cleanly with language is especially with writing i feel like because even with speaking there are non-verbal ways you can like kind of get away and and hack your way through but it's like there's nothing like trying to put your thoughts onto a page to realize how empty they are or to eat yourself up and want to neck yourself like it's just yeah you can just go down and you're like oh fuck i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about like about yes. any topic as soon as you try to actually write a coherent structured argument mm. which you can kind of trick with speech and kind of jump around easily yep. so that element for me is huge like just that just trying to get your thoughts better but also it's obviously it's a way to express yourself and all that stuff so basically my logic for it again was kind of force the issue because we were still weren't sure at that point a few months ago when i decided to do this what was happening next year so i was like you know what i could delay again or be like oh maybe it'll be fine but it's like just do it and even if like everything opens up it's still good and it'll force me because like i was saying to you before we started i need the external stimuli pressure someone's like every week you got to do this i'll do it but as soon as it's like on my own i'm really bad at self-motivation without like a deadline in place so that's the other reason for it as well literally just to make me write more in general yeah how are you with uh i'll answer first just to don't so you don't think i'm just putting you in the deep end okay uh, how are you with self-belief? Me, it wa- it wavers. Some days I have self-belief, other days I don't. I struggle a lot with it, um, you know, to produce stuff, to put it online. I'm scared to, my stand-up and all that sort of stuff, doing a piece of new material. If I'm not in a good frame of mind, I'll back out and I'll just do some rope. Um, yeah, so how are you with it? Because I, I, I always ask comics, what do you like with self-belief? Because for me, it's a fucking pendulum. Ah, completely. Exactly mm. the same. Like hard. It's, it depends like, yeah. I mean, I would say probably less in general than more. Um, the And how do you think we can iron it out or give, bring it up to a certain level that's consistently positive? It doesn't have to be amazing, but just how can we level it out or boost our self-belief? Well, like, I mean, and it shouldn't ever be based on external circumstances, right? Your self-belief. It should be something which is kind of like... But one without going the, into denial, one like, mirror is the other. Like you can't have self belief un- unless you've done something on the well, outside so here's world, the, like so, make someone laugh. Well, that, and here's the thing, right? So I would look at you and be like, you should your self belief. So you're in a different position to me. If I was in your position in some ways, I'd have a lot more self belief. I feel like because for you, you have a very good track record of being very tight. You do headlining. People are constantly telling you how great you are. Well, you so, get a lot of laughs and all that. So you know that you're great as a comedian yeah you know what i mean like in you've got a lot of that external stuff telling you yep. that you're at least very good you know what i mean like that's that's at least that yeah you've got a lot of stuff to show you that yep. so i'm always like it should be easier for you in some ways to at least be like well that's my base and now yes i can lack self-belief that maybe i can't be the next george carlin <laughs> don't know why i picked him but like you you've got the base you're like i am this fucking good though yeah right because you've got the external stuff telling you that yeah. You sh- again, shouldn't need it. it. Should be all about self-belief, Buddhist, blah blah blah. Whatever. Yeah, but we do have it. Yeah. So that's why when you say that, I find that interesting because, like, when you mm. say self-belief, 
I feel it's a different category to maybe when I say self-belief because <laughs> I just don't have that kind of like, let's say credit from external, which undeserved. Like I feel like I do need to put more work into certain things to get there. Mm. So I do think that there's space there. But for you, it's funny you're saying that because you know that you're good. Yeah, but I've lacked the courage to do Edinburgh or, you know, take a, do that or publish something for an hour on YouTube. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's where my demons are. So, but that's like a, almost, you could break that down further and be like, well, do you want to do 15 minutes first? Do you want to do 30 minutes first? Like you've got to, cause, cause you could, well, that's you, what I'm the base you've got, which is good. That's like, what you know, I'm working on now. Like with a, um, like a, like a sort of like a life coach or like a mentor who's going, all right, well start posting fives, then start posting tens and work your way up and don't look at the comments. Yeah. Um, you know, cause it can be, um, Mostly derisive. Yeah, of course. And like nothing kills you the first few times when you get that and you're like, mm. oh, I'm the worst. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because on stage you can get abuse and it's okay. You brush it off. On stage? It's great. On stage because you can do it there. You can work with it there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's the comments answers because that's in the cold. Firstly, you don't have the adrenaline pumping through you. Yeah. You're not on stage performing. You're just sitting at home on your laptop and it says, this guy's fucking shit. And you're like, what happens to you when you're dying on stage? I start losing words. Are you still able to string sentences together? Yeah, look, I become nonsensical. Like I leave chunks out to get to the. Yeah, like I'm in... crossing my arms because I'm fucking psychologically fearful of death. Nah, it's, it's, I don't know if that's true. That is anyway. But the uh, I think my habit is actually kind of opposite to that in some ways. What I can do is uh, oh, go into go. like shut. Firstly, talk fast, but also just shut down. So like as in almost like the walls go down behind my eyes and I just go into like, it's not disassociating, but it's essentially, I'm just going to do the script and... It is no disassociating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so like, as a performer, you need to be constantly taking the pulse of the crowd. Yeah. So when you build that, you're no longer there. Yeah. And you're, that's a, you're an actor now. Yeah. And I think sometimes I can have a habit of falling into that. So just talk faster, which is obviously what a lot of people do who amateurs, which I am as well. Like when it comes to that, I do talk too fast. But also then, yeah, just go into script mode. And then kind of power through. So one of the things I learned, again, a show is great for that, is, and it took me a lot to learn it, but like basically, if it's not going well, like you said, you got to acknowledge it. And you don't have to acknowledge it. You can even acknowledge it in a way where it's like, ideally, you go into crowd work of some kind. Um, if you can just pull something from the crowd, just to make them know that you're there with them, you know how it's going, you've got a gauge of the room. That's... I feel like that kind of thing's easier with 10, 15 people. If you're dying in the ass with 10, 15 people, you can always save it, is my view. Because with 10, 15 people, you can look each of them in the eyes as you acknowledge stuff. Like, you know, so they can really feel you and you can feel them. That can really break tension. Yes. But with a bigger crowd, where it's when it's silent in a big crowd, you can't do that. You're fucked unless you've got, like, some serious skills. Did you know that when Norm MacDonald used to fucking die horrifically, he used to punish himself by standing at the door and handshaking every single person as they left and thanking him for coming. Oh my God, what That's are you hilarious. doing, man? That is self-harm to the extreme. But I think that was his way. And when he crushed and killed, he'd slip out the door. That was his way of, um, I don't know, I guess uh, learning to let a death wash over you yeah, and, and deal with it to yeah. make you more rigid, I guess. And I think it's also like that stay humble sort of thing, like as in mm. the good and the bad. Don't treat them like the good and the bad because they're not like, yeah. You can't just ignore the bad ones unless you ignore the good ones too. You're just like, it's all nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the best way to kind of do it. You're like, it, it, this has no bearing. Again, it's because of self-belief. Neither of these 
have a bearing on my self-belief because I'm just doing my thing. Like that's the yes. dream, right? Yes. That's, I try and hover above. I try and remove myself. When I f- lack self-belief in stand-up, I try and remove myself from the present moment and look at it as a marathon, not a sprint. It's like, don't focus on what you're like at this gig. Just remember that you're heading towards being a stand-up in 15 years' time and you're going to be a lot different, a lot better in 15 years' time. Mm. That's what I do. Bigger picture. I think that helps a lot. It, um, it's helped me yeah, heaps yeah. to relax because yeah, I get tense. And um, Do you celebrate a win on stage, like a really good gig? And do you celebrate, do you reward yourself with a death? Like Jerry Seinfeld said, when you die, treat yourself. Uh, so when I die, I well, I've spoken about this before. I eat a can of Milo in a sitting. Like I just go hard. Um, it's like, the, yeah. I just milk? a little bit of milk just for texture to make it a paste. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it's it's vicious. That's but um that's what I do to reward myself because I love it so much. Yeah. Do the you? Death. Yeah. Well, no, I don't like a death, but that's what I do to reward myself. So at least I have something to look forward to. So like when I exit the stage, I'm like, well, at least I can go to Coles and pick up a can of Milo, and have my thing, which I love. All right, and you don't have any other time. I don't do it any other time. I don't keep Milo in the house. Nice. <laughs> not, okay. not allowed. It's just to bad. Yourself. Yeah, it wrecks my guts. <laughs> yes. So it's adding more suffering if you get some perspective. Yeah. So like, do you have anything when you when you die? Sarah Milliken reckons she when she dies, she's a UK comic, she will um she'll uh, mourn the death up until eleven AM the next day. And then that's it. It's focus for the next gig and yeah. pick herself up. Yeah, I think like if I was gonna say anything, I would say uh to go again. As quick as possible. Yeah, that's, the one which I that's do a have. good idea. Always go again. Yeah, even I've if you can that, that night. Yeah, if you can that night, that's like always. And again, it's Melbourne. It's harder when it's less gigs, yeah. but when there's more gigs, like other times a year, you can do it. But especially again, festivals and stuff, different thing. If you can go again, go again that night. That's one thing I do strongly believe. Even though sometimes I might not want to, it's like you got to get that. You got to fuck that off as quick as possible. You got to put that in the back, like rearview mirror. I find good idea. And the other one is if you record it. It's always interesting going back and listening to a recording of a death because Ooh. so much of the time it's death, but there might be bits in it where you're like, oh, that actually mm. was not... You can learn. Yeah. And like, you can actually like, it, it, there might even be a chuckle somewhere where you're like, oh, that was actually okay. And then you're like, oh, maybe I was overreacting to it. I always find, I always find listening to your recordings is the best like neutralizer again. Cause you have like one, you're like, I fucking killed that. Yeah. And then you listen back and you're like, oh, it was good. <laughs> Yeah. But it was like... Perspective. Yeah, it gives you both sides. You're like, okay, there was actually a gap there and like, oh, that laugh there wasn't as big and stuff. And then it, sometimes you die in the ass. You go listen back and you're like, okay, it was it's still not great. Yeah. But, okay, maybe I'm beating myself up. There was... Ah, oh, and especially because you can do the post-mortem, which is the best. Yeah. Is if you can be like, oh, okay, I clearly fucked this up. I stumbled over that word. That's why they didn't get it. It doesn't help the feelings, but it does help... You know, most things start in the brain intellectually and then hopefully you can filter it down into your emotions yes i i often say to myself just before i press play to hear back a recording i always say to myself only i'm reliving this the audience isn't so it's okay because i have this like horrible like uh alfred hitchcock kind of nightmare that when i press play it audio blasts into every audience member's ears right there and then so we have to relive it all together and i'm like this is just me it's a private space only these walls will soak in this horror. Let's try and learn something. And that's where I picked up. Wow, I say um a lot when I die. I stutter. My words don't make sense. I, I miss out words and I wasn't aware. 
So when I listened back, I realized, man, I'm nonsensical. So mm. that's just increasing my death. So now I'm like, stop, rest, take a deep breath and acknowledge the death and maybe try and recommence. Yeah, yeah. Um, can I ask you, what's your opinion of performing at a gig to just comics? Do you think it's a futile? I'm torn. Would you? Would you I, yeah, I'm... Like, as in, because obviously there's the cult of gigging. Which... Do you... Do you... Sorry. Yeah? What were you going to say? No, go on. Okay. I was just going to say, do you... Yeah, I want to hear your answer, then I'll back it up. Okay. Gonna... Um, so there's like there's, there's the cult of gigging, which exists, and obviously it's popularized, especially, I think, UK does it, but I think America especially is all about how many gigs did you do? You should be doing 17,000 gigs a night. Yeah. And that... There's truth in it as well. Like, that's the thing. And yeah, I, but not 17,000 shit gigs. That, and that's, that's the other side, because I'm like, how much... Because you do see it sometimes even here. You see comics who, like, they're just constantly doing rooms where there's no one else. And, like, that, that is the fucking downside of Melbourne, like, especially right now. But in general, like, you are going to get gigs where there's not many people there at all. And you do wonder, how much are you getting from it? And, like, especially... The one that confuses me the most whenever I see that is when it's um, just comics and a comic will get up and do stuff that they've done a million times before mm. with a full set. And you're like... That's strange. What purpose was that? Like, I, I, I don't actually, I get confused. Unless you're doing, is. look, unless you're doing uh, a big gig on the weekend in front of a paid gig and you want to hear it to memorize it, especially now post lockdown. Yeah. Like I'm, I performed in front of pretty much comics only, but I just had to just say it because I was doing the lounge a couple of nights later and I didn't, I just wanted to get the muscle memory back and no one was laughing and I realized the stupidity I'm like, I'm just doing jokes that comics have heard before. And of course they're not laughing, but I'm just saying it to get that rhythm. So I was like, maybe I should have just done ad-libbing or just spoken about something different because they're just comics. So they've heard my shit before. They want to laugh. They do. So just give them something completely different. No, see, I reckon in that, I would argue I don't know. because you're almost like, because you know, again, this is a very specific circumstance you're talking about. You're talking about material you know works that you haven't done. You're trying to just bed down again because it's been a while. Yeah. I would say that's probably maybe not that bad to do, and especially to do in a room where you don't get treated that nicely because, like, you, you first, you're not going to go overconfident. Mm. <laughs> the biggest curse in the world is whenever you think you're going to be the fucking the best and you walk out there and you just die in the ass and you're not ready for it. So there's nothing like that realistic yeah. setting of expectations. My favorite when... gigs are when I'm dry reaching before I go on because I'm like, good. I have no belief. I'll do okay. Yeah, it's I'm because... nervous as fuck. <laughs> <Which Just>, goes... <laughs> MC's going, are you right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good. Oh, it's, I'm great. Yeah. yeah. First of all, it's one of those weird things that goes the opposite of the self-belief thing because obviously yeah nothing like going out there and not giving a fuck but also there's that too confident where it's like just dumb confidence where you actually do give a fuck but you think you're confident because you don't and that's not actually confidence and that's it's the so other true. one true every time I'm confident I suck it's so there's a fucking pattern to it yeah but I think it's more like there's the not giving a fuck where you actually don't give a fuck but then there's the confidence which is like I'm the best and then you're like oh no I'm not and actually you're still you're not confident you're not you're, it's, a, it's an expression of uh, an insecurity still you know yeah, what I mean like, it's not synchronized with your spirit what's uh, happening inside your spirit yeah 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 that's what I mean so as soon as it doesn't get yeah. a laugh you're just confident because you had an easy gig and then you go up and you don't get a laugh straight away and you're like oh my god I'm so fucking shit what the <laughs> fuck am I doing yeah. that's not real confidence you know what I mean versus like when you don't give a fuck at all and you go out there and you just chill and then I, sometimes you die with that as well yes. don't get me wrong plenty but the f one I found with that as well is, and usually it helps when you've done like 50 gigs in a row when you get to the point where you just don't give a shit and it's great. It's so freeing. And you do... And one of the realizations I had there, I remember when it would happen to me, because it's always like once the flow happens, you, it doesn't mean you're magically going to be good. 
It doesn't mean you're going to fix it. It does mean that you're probably going to save yourself a lot better than you would otherwise. And on top of that, it does mean you just don't give a fuck. You mm. just don't. So you, you're up there and you're dying in the eyes and you're like, ah, oh, whatever. And you just go through your stuff still and you play around with the audience. You might stop a joke halfway through and just do whatever. Like, it doesn't mean it's going to all of a sudden you're the greatest comic ever. But it does mean that I think mathematically the probability of success is going to be higher than if you're stressing and falling apart. And also just emotionally, you're going to be fine because you're just like, you, if you actually don't care you're like oh yeah whatever so what would you what would you do in a situation where you go to an open mic gig it's full of comics what do you do when you get up on stage do you do your material or you just go nah i'll just fuck around i'll do completely new stuff usually i'll like look at stuff that i've got which is much newer um, yeah if it's just comics because if i got the time before like if as soon as i'm like oh it's a workshop i'll usually be workshop. like okay yeah let's yeah. try although like again with open mics, a lot of time i'm going there anyway with fairly new material to be honest like again pro- a problem of mine is i don't I should. I need to try betting down a bit more because I kind of got out of the flow of doing that. Uh, but yeah, usually I'll be. Yeah, if it's just a like comic, if it's if it's a, yeah, if it's a workshop, then treat it like a workshop. You know, it doesn't have to lose value. You can be like, okay, I'll try. Fucking yeah, you can this. still get something out of it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But to the other point, though, the point of gigging constantly. Like, I mean, every great comic gigs constantly, right? Of all like the US ones, but even the ones in the UK. But I mean, how many of them were doing you know, to three other comics at? 11.30 p.m. every night. Yeah, you're like, looking at them now when they're in cruise control at 30,000 feet doing great gigs, but the, to get to that level, they had to do shit gigs, maybe what, like a couple, I would, maybe a couple of gigs a week only. I mean, I know me for a fact, I would rather do two gigs a week quality rather than 13 quantity. Yeah, I think... Uh, I You'll can... learn a lot more. Yeah, I actually, uh, I'm obsessed. You kind of mentioned it before, like minimum, your minimalism. And one way mm. I kind of express that in my own life hard is my obsession deep down with a minimum effective dose. Mm. <laughs> like how little do I need to do of this to be able to like, for it to be useful, you know? What's the bare minimum I can do in anything for it to be yeah. like effective essentially? It's like one example is like I do sprints when I run because I've slowly figured out over time, which is very obvious anyway. But if you want minimum effective dose of exercise, it's 100% sprints because you don't have to do anything to get ready. You just walk outside. It's, it's easiest to prepare for. And then... You just go 100 meters sprint. You can be done in like 10, 15 minutes and you're fucked and it's good for you. How do you do it? Um, do you sprint for 100 meters, walk for 20 seconds, sprint for 100 meters, walk for 20 seconds? So where I am, so right now I, I, I live next to a park, so it's a lot easier for me because I just go to run to the park. I just go to the park and I can do it there. Uh, before that, I was not living near a park, so I just do it on the street. But what I'll do is usually I'll sprint. Your for neighbors it. will think you're fucking, this guy's jacked. <laughs> <laughs> He's cooked. He's burnt his barbie. And now he's gone for, he's sprinting down the street and now he's back home again. Yeah, and he's back again. And he's, it's uh, weird. Yeah. <laughs> no, because I, 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 you do the sprint. So what I'll do is I'll go 100, 100 150 meters, whatever. And then I'll usually jog back and then I'll do it again. And, and I'll jog. jog back and I'll do that about four or five times. That, and then I'll fucking kill you. And then I walk for one and then I'll do another two, like run, jog, sprint. And then I'll walk and then I'll do one more. And that's like eight. And in my head, I'm like, okay, I've done a good run of like, jog sprints and then I've had a break so my body's actually chilled and I've forced it again so like I think that's probably enough to none of this is scientific but it feels like you're pretty wrecked you know what I mean? well isn't it scientific because they say you need to elevate your heart rate so it is scientific oh, no, I just meant in terms of my system of whatever but yeah in terms of like uh, high intensity interval training anything that raises your heart rate I mean even climbing a tree and staring at the girl in the in the window if that raises I mean 20 minutes a day that's okay that's <laughs> That's a Is joke. It a big tree? It's a fucking joke. <laughs> Don't hashtag me. I, I, dogged, I left you out in the lurch there. Yeah, I was like, I'm not touching that. 
That's this moment, I'm not going near that shit. Yeah. Uh, it's a big one that I've, yeah. I, I definitely am overly sensitive to that sometimes, I feel like, because a part of it is being Melbourne, we're Melbourne audiences. Yeah. And also, I think being a wog, like, and, I, and this is going to sound maybe paranoid, but I feel like being a wog, you do get certain things from audiences that maybe white comics, if you want to put it that way, don't get. Like, they got their own sleaziness, don't get me wrong. Oh, if but there's you, a certain if you, type of thing with. If you performed with a white, silky shirt, I'd be like, this guy's a fucking Casanova. Like, look at him. He's probably working on my bird right now as I'm watching this show. He's probably talking to her. He's telling jokes to everyone, but he's picking her up at the same time. Look, one comic does that. I can't name him. But while he's on stage, if there's a cute girl in the front row, every time he drops a punchline, he'll wink at her. And he reckons he's pulled. That's hilarious. Yeah. I'm like, how can you have the time to, like, I'm just trying not to die, trying to do well, let alone pick up. Yeah, it's hilarious. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Good on it. Well, why not? Yeah. Each their own. Each their They're own. They're all uh, uh, consenting adults, so it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. But the. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, what are we talking about? I don't know. We've been speaking for an hour. Oh, We've got, we got to wrap up. Oh, nah. Yeah. I didn't even get to do all my evolutionary stuff, defending it. Oh, yeah. Fuck. fuck. I'm so excited. Yeah, no, we let's talk never, about that if you want. We never got the time. You got to go. Uh, can can you get it out in ten minutes or distill it like in five? Oh man, is that doable? I don't know. It feels very forced now, though. All right, try but I saw. <laughs> let me just. I'll, I'll keep it simple. Yeah. I saw a picture of a uh, a butterfly, and on the butterfly's wings, it had evolved. Uh, this is spooky accurate. A picture of side profile of a snake. And the whole point of this butterfly, as you can imagine, is it it doesn't get eaten because people are people insects like I'll fuck a snake, I'm getting out of here, and so it survives. Hmm. And my question to you was, how can uh, how can that perfect picture on its wings of a snake's head have randomly evolved without some sort of driving force being passed through centuries going a little bit more black in the eye, a little bit curvier underneath the chin or the side of the mouth is not quite right. Just a little bit. How could evolution not have slowly painted that on its wing? How can it be random? I just it's, can't buy it. Well, it's not random. It's uh, natural selection. So like I think I said to you last time, it is first... It shocks me that you love physics and you like evolution. Why does it shock you no, that no, I no. like physics? No, no, you don't finish the sentence. Wonk. You're so stressed. How sensitive are you? Get some self belief, man. Let me finish a sentence. <laughs> Fucking hell. I literally was halfway through the sentence. <laughs> what do you mean? It's a. Fuck, I didn't realize I was fucking standing on my toes the whole time. Fuck, I would have been much more gentle till now. Okay, let me be very careful how I phrase the sentence no, no, then. Okay. I, I, I bit you then. <laughs> Just so <laughs> oh, You do need some self-belief, my friend. You need some mantras. Go, 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 um, go, go. Sorry. All I was going to say was appreciating you... physics uh, for the science it is, which is great and people do it. Yep. I always feel like that's actually a step. Like you've skipped one, which is less complicated in certain ways, which is like, I would say evolution in terms of understanding. It. And I feel like it's more related to the real world. So like as someone who loves science, it always surprises me when people skip that and go to physics, let's say, because Evolution is like the story of everything. It's the best. It's the, the cleanest. It's the most magical. I learned it in year 11. It clicked in my head. I finally got it. And after that, it changed my life. Like there is no scientific concept which I can so cleanly remember 
So like what is happening? Year 11. What is happening to that butterfly? All it is, is, as you got to remember. From it, seven, from seven a million, million years, years ago, ago. Yeah, a million seven, years. Yeah. Seven million years ago to now. How did it know to slowly craft the snake's head? It's as simple as, all you got is a hundred butterflies, right? And one of them has, they're all just flying around getting eaten, right? And then one of them will, and this is what I was saying, it could be a mutation or it could be just natural selection. It varies on how big the difference is. But essentially, of those ones that get eaten, the one that has the thing, even if it's nowhere near where it ends up, the one that has a thing on its back, which looks Slightly. tiny, tiny bit like it, right? That one will, on average, survive more. Gotcha. I'm with you so yeah. far. So then that, that breeds. Has, that breeds, right? So the ones that it breeds will have a higher chance of having this shape or whatever, right? And then how come the next ones that breed look more snaky than the previous because ones? Because all that's happening is they're not doing anything. They're just breeding, right? And they've got a kind of shape. So it has one. So the first one had like the tiniest, 1% of what it ended up looking, right? It has a bunch of kids. A lot of them don't have anything. Some of them have the same shape. Maybe one of them has a 1.1% slightly better clarity of the snake shape on it. So again, over a ridiculously long length of time, the one that has the thing that looks more like a snake is the one that survives and passes on its genes. So all that's happening is it has 10 kids. One of them is like almost the same, but just a tiny bit more snake-like. And because of that tiny, tiny advantage over a big enough length of time, that one survives and has kids. So all that happens is that keeps repeating where the one who has 0.1% higher advantage than the one before of its four, 10 kids, that one gets selected because it doesn't get eaten. Because it's the snakes come in, the insects are coming to eat it, it goes first for the easy, most obvious ones. It leaves the one that's the most up for question. How does it refine? How does it become somewhat of a high resolution pick of a snake? Because of this exact thing. So all it does is, so the first one's 1% of the final image. It has 10 kids. Of those, most don't have any. One's 1%, but then one is 1.1% clarity. Looks a little bit more tiny, snaky. Tiny, tiny, tiny bit snaky. Than the previous yeah, one. That's it. Just a tiny bit. Only one of them has to, or two of them, whatever. And then they survive. And then they survive, and then they have kids. And again, most of them are probably zero. Some of them might be one. And one then of them the one next one, one, and the one's 1.2%. A little closer. bit even more yeah. snaky. Yeah. Of the 10 it has, there's one that gets selected just by fluke that has the, that it's a bit more. So all it is is like nature is selecting by constantly going for the most, the least like that, because it's killing those ones first. So all it has well, it's done you, a marvelous job. Yeah, man. Look at have in, you seen this, the like? How did it know? It has no concept of what a snake looks like. What's well, not evolution. all it's doing is avoiding a snake. <laughs> yeah. It's not knowing anything. It's just avoiding a snake. So it avoids the thing that looks kind of like a snake. But that avoidance isn't that a driving force. Because it doesn't want to get force. in. Yeah, that's all it is. It just doesn't want to get in. So you don't go for the one that looks like a snake. You go for the one that's got no snake on it. Even if it's tiny bit like a snake, you're going to go for the one that's got zero snake. Isn't there something that's telling it look a little bit more snaky than the previous no. batch? No, see, that's that's the big mistake that people don't realize. That's part of what the selfish gene, which is, if, I, if you want to read the Richard Dawkins, as crazy as some of the stuff he says now, he has done, he's, he's, selfish gene for me is one of my, like, three cornerstone books of my life, I would say, in terms of everyone should read it. And it just sums up in that. He calls it selfish gene is the idea of genes uh, selfishly trying to stay alive. But he's like, obviously, this isn't, they're not selfish. They're just staying alive they're just repeating themselves and he's so the big thing that he realized he figured out in the selfish gene was basically he goes everyone used to think of animals against each other but it's not animals against each other it's genes against each other so that's what everything is so the gene is trying to trying to survive and that's what gets passed on so he goes down to the smallest package of the thing that gets passed on is a gene with his blue eyes you got a snake shape on you whatever those genes and then they're battling each other essentially within the group to then survive of those but the whole thing is there's no selection going on in terms of, there's no choice. All it is, is one lives and one dies. <laughs> so, and that's all that happens. And, all, and the genes are going to keep just reproducing because that's what they want to do. The ones that get killed off, get killed off. You don't see them anymore. And all that's left is the one that is the best chance of surviving. So you start off at, 
in one thing. And then slowly over time, he gets funneled through natural selection into being the most survivable. So all they're ever doing is getting eaten. Which happens to be a fucking high-res picture of a snake on its wings. Because slowly, it was uh, the insects were choosing between who do I eat? The one with a high-res pick or the one with... Yeah, uh, bloody video recorder the one that looks quality. Like a butterfly. Yeah, yeah, but like, or the one that's got almost high res, but not quite as good. I'm gonna go for that one because that one doesn't look as much high res as the other one. Do you get me? Yeah. So all it is, it just keeps killing off the the least like that. So as long it's as just, it's almost like why why I'm fascinated about evolution is what you're describing is imagine the insects just in a hypothetical universe. It's a bizarre concept, but let's say the insects could read text, and the insects would. Un- could understand do not eat me this butterfly has evolved millions of years for its wings to say do not eat me yeah, that's the whole thing that's what and happen. that freaks me out yeah do not eat me has been written on these wings yeah over millions of years yeah. and you're saying millions of texts pixelated dots were printed all over the insects but, but see, the ones that survived yeah, but, but were the ones that joined to make an n no 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 but see here's where you're making the mistake and this is where it, okay. this is a common misconception as well because you've got to remember, like, it's like how everyone says, the classic example is, it'd be great if you could have an eye on the back of your head. If you had an eye on the back of your head in the jungle, you'd live better than people with two eyes on the front because you can see behind you. Mm. That doesn't happen, right? You can't, you're never going to go from not effective to let you survive to effective to letting you survive. So if it doesn't look like do not, the thing is you're talking about letters, those don't mean anything until they mean something, right? Mm. With the snake shape, it still kind of looks like a snake even when it's nothing. So you got to remember, every step of the way, it has to be providing an advantage. It can't just magically happen at the end. Or every step, and that's the whole point, like even the ones who, like those animals that swing from tree to tree, they've got like the wingspan and they mm. do it. Like how does that evolve? It's like, well, all it has to do is when it jumps from a tiny bit higher off the ground, it gets a tiny advantage. But then slowly over time, that gets picked and picked and picked until it's like now can fly. But every step of the way, it has to be providing an advantage in the environment for well, that, that's that's wow isn't it yeah it's, it's, it's wow. amazing yeah because because i've often like looked at us as a species and i forget the name the guy's name but he he's just he believes that we're going to be married to ai soon like uh we're going to have chips inside us Al kurtzman i think it was oh yeah yeah, yeah um I, I think that i i think that once someone starts doing it everyone else is going to be forced to do it because of the advantages the human being will have. It'll be far superior to an organic. Well, I don't think uh, force is probably the wrong word. Who wouldn't want to do it, really? I mean, we're already halfway there. You've got a phone in your hand. It's like now... Uh, you've you st- you got anti-vaxxers. You're going to have organics. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know? And they'll be... Uh, look, it's going to be... You wouldn't want to be the first one to do it, but I would say that is the future of... Like, if you can expand your brain to levels unheard of before, why wouldn't you want to do it, essentially? Yeah, do you see how Musk is working on... Uh, they've already got, like, a chip that sits in the c- cerebral cortex that uh, ac- you can access through Wi-Fi. Yeah. And uh, it stops your Parkinson's shakes. Yeah. So, n- yeah, normally <laughs> patients would be taking orphanodrine citrate, which has a few side effects, which is unwanted. Um, even a fil- 50 milligram dose, they found that was too much for the body uh, over time. So, they... Uh, couple of patients they put an implant in they started shaking they got their iphones took them a while to input the code because i yeah, but honey yeah and accessed it bang stop the shakes yeah i mean like that, that's ai inside us and well, pacemakers to a lesser extent pacemakers, that's what i mean it's, it's always um, funny to look at this on a spectrum because people can be like it's magical whatever funnily enough i just had a, a scientist on my bookish yesterday she does nanotechnology um, focusing on brain science so biomaterials within the brain and she was talking about what's required for that because you hear nanotechnology and you're like wow that's crazy shit which it is but obviously like the way she was describing it's essentially kind of like that as well 
all you're seeing is better and better systems to provide the drugs and the therapy to the brain, but it's not AI. It's mm. just doing, like you're still triggering from outside. And it might be like, why you want to trigger is because you might have like, as she was describing, you might have like three drugs that need to be released at different times. So you put the gel with the nanotech and the stuff in there. And then you've got like the first one, which is a quick release. Then you've got a second, which is like a slow release. And you've got a third one, which is like when this environmental trigger happens, she said she would use UV for it. It releases the third one. So at that point, we're not talking AI yet. And just like with Parkinson's, that's not AI. That's just a pacemaker that's more detailed and more specific. The one that's using the mask is he's talking about the stuff where you connect the Neuralink, where you connect your brain to a computer so you can actually like interact with it. But even there, it's like not the ones where you can tell a computer what to do because it gives a shit, but the ones where you you can like access the actual computer. So imagine you Google in your head and shit like that. That's, yeah. that's the cool shit. And that's later. Sometimes I get really pessimistic and I think we're all going to kill ourselves on this planet. Mm-hmm. And um, Fair enough. what I did was I looked at um, something that we've done that can't be taken back. Uh, Voyager in 1977. Yeah. And I'm like, if we kill ourselves and blow ourselves up, at least we've got Voyager, right? To say, hey, we were here. We did some sort of accomplishment. We understood that the universe is made up of atoms and we, we kind of had an idea on this beautiful. Mm. And um, yeah, I Googled how far is Voyager going to get? And these fucking geeks extrapolated that um, the record... Uh, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, I'm not sure, I think it's Voyager 1, is, you know how the Milky Way is like, kind of like on this plane? Voyager 1 is above it slightly, so it's going through less dust. And they reckon it's got a lifespan of 5 billion years. It's going to survive this trajectory that um, it's going to escape our solar system, the Oort cloud, in 100,000 fucking years, man. 100,000, that's just our solar system. Mm. Then it's going to start this journey for 500 million years. It's not going to go close to any real star. It's going to survive. The disks are going to be intact for 5 billion years, and it's going to survive, they believe, a merger with the Andromeda galaxy. And then, who knows, if we kill ourselves, maybe in 4 billion years, a species may fucking find this on the side of their solar system, bring it in, play a record and go, oh, these fuckers. Yeah, they got some tunes. All yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. They, they blew themselves up, but fuck. Yeah. Stock. That's Stock. what we do. We go, no, that's a... Look, I don't know. That that side, you hear about, uh, apparently there's a thing where people have that attitude where like, oh, part of us will survive or something and like that kind of thing and how that's actually a negative because a lot of people do that. It's like this whole space race. It's like, oh, we'll leave and go somewhere. It's like, man, no. Fix here. <laughs> yeah. Don't talk about we're going to live on. That's, ju- that's useless to me or Why? to my kids because they're dead. Like as in... None of that shit matters. I don't give a fuck about where Voyager is in 500 million years. Mm. I care about what the weather's like tomorrow. Like, that's way more important. Like, oh, no, but it's kind of cool that, like, 500 million years from now, it's like, no, it's not. I, I think it I is. I care about the fact that our glaciers are around. Uh, give me some glaciers instead. No, but Forget just... Voyager, give me some fucking glaciers. I'd much prefer that. Yeah, I, look, I know where you're coming from, yeah. but I'm just saying, I think if, if shit hits the fan, like, it looks like we are going to blow each other up, at least we've got some sort of receipt in the universe that we existed. And I Mate, think that's better than nothing at all. When you're walking through the radioactive wasteland and someone comes up and goes, how do we do this? You can be like, yeah, but a part of us is surviving up in space. And you're like, why would we want to survive? Yeah. Wipe that one out as well. <laughs> Fuck that. Directly. I've sent messages I regretted before. I don't want to let that one last either. <laughs> Fuck, get rid of it, man. Yeah, I don't understand the fascination about like going to Mars and living there. I, I mean, I went through the outback of Australia. It's fucking harsh, man. And I reckon Mars is 10 times harsher. Man, it looks like the outback. It's the dumbest shit. I wouldn't want to. It's minus 270 degrees and looks like the red earth of Australia. 
It's just, fuck, there's nothing there. It's so hard to look. I don't know. Matt Damon proved that it's really hard to live there. So I'm like, I don't want to go. But also, and this is the whole fucking thing about space. And that's what annoys me about how billionaires made space lame. Because they totally did. It used to be cool. Now it's shit. Mm. Because the whole point of space is that it's meant to be the last part of us peaking. It's not meant to be like the only part, especially when it's like space. I have a mate who's like all defensive. He's crypto and he's Elon Musk. He's like, mate, well, I'll be fine. Space, what you'll be down here. I'm like, man, space is shit. Mm. You, it's you in a room with a glass thing. Give me good technology. You can do that here. The only difference is maybe you can't be floating. That's it. All the rest is you interacting with your tech in a different space, but you can't live that. You're not living it. You're just yeah. in a room the, seeing shit. Like you know, I can do that at home. The SpaceX crew, they just landed yesterday and they're dunny broke. So they landed with nappies on. Like, is that like, there must be, if they're aliens watching, they go, Oh, look, they've got their diapers on. That's cute. <laughs> Good job. But it's also like, man, <laughs> like that's the whole thing. People like, oh, go to space. Like, man, and it's not really, it's not really, yeah. It's yeah, way better. Way better. It's <laughs> not even Amazon. space. It's like dipping your toe in the beach and going, Ooh, I went in the beach today. No, you didn't. I mean, they reckon space starts like Musk's, uh, no, who was it? Uh, Bezos has gone closest to where space actually begins. Yeah, because they're in low orbit still, aren't they? All that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But that's the point. It's like, man, it's not it's not that special. Like, as in, it's cool as an extra thing, but like, if you've got to pick between going to space and going to some cool places here on Earth, it'd be way better because you can yeah. smell them. <laughs> like, you're, you're, just, you're just seeing glass and then that thing. It's like, yeah, it's awesome, but not the way that people think it's like that good, like compared yeah. to seeing anywhere on Earth, basically. One thing that that fascinates me that I stay in touch with every now and then, they, they release about an article every six months, the Chinese, how they're uh, building an artificial sun. That's fucking brilliant, man. What? They've created this uh, magnetic, it looks like a donut, right, with a hole in it. Magnetic, and uh, it swirls hydrogen atoms. Magnets, that's how they do it, mate. <laughs> Magnets. So they swirl these um, hydrogen atoms at like super high speeds, and they generated, for the first time ever, they successfully fused hydrogen and got more energy than they put in uh, at 120 million degrees Celsius, but it only lasted for a nanosecond and then collapsed. But a crack was made to the other side. Like, they did it. Who's here on Earth? Yeah, the Chinese. Yeah, they're doing it here on Earth somewhere in China. Yeah. Making suns. Yes, mini suns. How good is that? Sounds worrying. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> I love that shit. China's going to take over the world, and I'm all for it. I Why? love it. I love their food, and I think they're awesome people. Nah, man. You can't have this authoritarian <laughs> regime, bruh. Yeah, man. Nah, man. Be do, you know, do you know that they passed a law saying that, uh, put it this way, they've got this law in place now that if you, George DiMorellos, headline at the Hong Kong Comedy Club, and they don't like what you say, they can lock you up for nine years for terrorism. So, <laughs> don't go with shit jokes because it's just going to get this cunt in jail. Come on, that's what you're loving. You're like, finally. Yeah. All right. They're proper nuts, right? The government of China, are they're proper nuts, but they get shit done. They knocked coronavirus on the head. They welded people shut inside their homes, but they flattened their curve. All right, they even fixed the numbers, but still they flattened their curve. And I think China would get shit done in space, outer space and inner space here. Look, they'll do, they do it. Look, they've got a lot of money. They've got a lot of centralized bureaucracy is a very powerful tool when you use it. And that's why everyone look through history. If you're not going to history, man, I fucking love history as well. The whole thing is when people have to choose between freedom and safety, everyone always picks safety because that's just how we are. Yeah. In the end, you want to protect those around you that you love, whatever. 
So people would rather live in an authoritarian regime than in a free country if they've got to pick between being safe and being controlled. Mm. Also, authoritarianism means you can focus resources better than in just anything goes everywhere because there's safety and the security so people can invest, people can do all that. But there's an upper bound to it where it starts hitting like against the issues of too many people protecting their own interests and then all of a sudden it starts falling apart. And the Soviet Union is the classic example of that. Everyone was talking about how it was going to take over the world. And then it hit that point where it's like, oh, no, actually... All the countries in power aren't getting leaving, so they mm. start controlling everything, and then it just starts falling apart because they stop allowing change to happen. And it's just a curse of any political system, basically. So. Pretty much, yeah. Um, sure. I've got to stop there. We've got to continue. Come back next time. Yeah, all we'll, right. We'll Sweet. take we'll take off from history because I didn't know you're a history buff. I love history as well. Oh man, hardcore history. Uh, just like I don't know, I, I the like podcast. Let's <laughs> say hardcore history. All oh, right. Like... Yeah, I'm not hardcore history. Like, fuck yeah! Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> Fucking Caesar, yeah! Yeah. Um, well, quick plug. Where can we see you or how do we access your stuff? Um, just the best is follow me on Instagram, whatever, George What Up, but also Bookish Comedy. Yes. Follow that. You see some memes. Have a laugh. I've got my own podcast as well called Book Open Bracket Ish, Close Bracket, which is a good time as well. So if you want to do that, that's everything. Thanks a lot, Georgie. Nice. No Take care. Bye. Thanks.